0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: Mm. Oh, she came to the centre, one oh, staff attempted to her, but uh, the staff too was bit scared because uh, she had previous pregnancy and had operation previously. So she struggled during the contractions and then when she gave birth, uh, the baby died.
0: Supervised delivery rates in the country in general is low. It's about, I think, 36% for the nation. So only 36% of women of reproductive age who are having kids are coming into a health facility in the country to deliver.
2: They uh, advocate for safe delivery. So people start to realize that the safety of the unborn child and the mother is important. That uh, when a young woman conceives, that the time she has to be looked after.
3: Being pregnant is an exciting and sometimes frightening time for many women. We all have hopes and fears about what the future holds for us and our babies. And before you've had a baby, it's difficult to imagine what it will be like. It's natural to feel anxious. But the idea of giving birth can be particularly nerve-wracking for women living in remote parts of the Pacific, especially in Papua New Guinea. This is because if you live far away from a major city in PNG it's likely you will give birth without any support from a qualified birth attendant. Difficult terrain, bad roads, and a lack of trained nurses, midwives, and doctors mean that many women have their babies alone. Some mothers and babies do not survive, and many others are left with long-term injuries. What makes this situation worse is that much of this could be avoided with some simple medical interventions and added funding for health infrastructure. Today, I'm talking to some brave women who are on the front line of making birthing safer for women in remote PNG. Their stories are inspiring, but a warning, this episode talks about subjects that you may find distressing. I'm Hilda Wayne. Sisters, Let's talk about birthing in remote areas of Papua New
2: Guinea.
3: Like most expectant mothers, I was nervous when I was pregnant with my first child. But what gave me comfort was knowing I was in good hands at the Port Moresby General Hospital maternity ward. I did feel panicked when I had to be induced and then finally told I would give birth via caesarean section. A day later, I got to see my eldest son, Fidel, who weighed over four kilograms. I guess there's no surprise there why I had to go through so much to have him. Seven years later, his younger brother, Nigel, was born and again, I went through the same process of being induced in another caesarean birth. I consider myself blessed to be able to have my babies at the city hospital where the care and attention was wonderful, making it a joyous experience. Tragically, this is not the case for many women. According to the Burnett Institute in PNG, 1,500 women die every year from complications related to childbirth, and 5,000 new babies die each year. Yes, I said 5,000 babies. And this does not account for the long-term health problems many mothers and babies face because they don't have access to the basic health care before, during, and after birth. One way to think about those big numbers is to imagine a school classroom in remote PNG. In many of these classrooms, one of the girls will be expected to die from complications. While the situation is shocking, there are women who have dedicated their lives to making a positive change. Today, you will hear what it's like to give birth in the most extreme circumstances and to some of the heroic and resilient doctors and health workers who are making birth safer and more positive for women living in remote PNG.
0: Some of the most pressing issues for women who are coming in to deliver is, first of all, the geography of actually getting to a hospital and then having the facilities at the hospital where the women can be seen and then assessed and if they need further care, then that can be provided at the hospital.
3: Dr. Rebecca Williams is the medical superintendent at Kompiam Hospital in Yanga province. This 50-bed hospital services a district with a population of 50,000 people, not to mention the neighbouring rural communities in Isipik, Medang and Ella provinces. Dr. Williams says the main goal must be to help laboring mothers from remote areas reach a hospital in time to deliver.
0: They have to either walk into the hospital or fly in. If they fly in, um, they get to us. If I'm there and we're able to see her and she's able to deliver, that's good. If she can't deliver, then we have to do a C-section for her. If I'm not there, then they can't do a C-section, then she has to travel another two to three hours on the road to then get to the provincial hospital to be seen there. So the geography of um, actually getting to a facility and then seeing someone who can adequately take care of the woman, that's probably the most difficult thing for us in remote places like Compiègne.
3: You mentioned mothers flying in. Uh, is that accessible? Are airplanes always flying in Compeam or once in a week or how does that happen?
0: Uh, most Probably most of the rural areas, I'd say. We depend heavily upon MAF, Mission Aviation Fellowship, who service most the majority of rural airstrips um, throughout PNG. If, for example, if I have a women who's had a difficult labour and I have to bring the patient in, I'll call MAF, I'll find out from them if they're able to do the Medivac and usually for them what it would mean is that they'd have to reschedule their flights for the day so just so they can go out and get the woman to me so I can assess her.
3: How many uh, women give birth every year in your district?
0: By our um, National Health Information System numbers, for our district, we should be delivering maybe 2,200 for 2020. Those are the estimated figures. And we probably saw only 200 at the hospital itself. And then maybe there's been a few done at the health centers or other smaller facilities throughout the district. So we're not seeing nearly enough women coming in for deliveries in our facility or even just generally throughout the whole district. I think. Our percentage for supervised deliveries for the whole district is somewhere around thirty or thirty-five percent for 2022, and that's that's pretty low, I would say.
3: So the rest of rest of the mothers who do not come or do not have supervised care, do they give birth in the villages?
0: Yeah, uh, definitely. We we know that most women are delivering out in villages that just just too remote for us to reach them or for them to get into us. So, like I said, um, 34, 35% are supervised deliveries. And then the rest of that 66, 67% of the women in our district, they're delivering out in the village, in the bush. We we just hear stories of them.
3: Wow, that's really sad. That's a huge number. Yeah. And you have introduced incentives, uh, baby kids for mothers to give birth under uh, hospital supervision in, Cam- in Com- CompiA. Uh, what are these baby kits?
0: The incentivized kits for supervised deliveries at the hospital, it's actually something that Professor Glenn Moller got us onto. I think it's a programme that's been run in several other provinces, in PNG and for us in Enga, CompiA is probably the first that came on. So there's a partner in Australia called um, Send Hope Not Flowers And they gave us some funding to buy um, baby bundle kits, which consists of maybe a baby bath, some nappies, um, some baby clothes, clothes for the mother head, and some items for the father as well. When the woman comes into the hospital, has the supervised delivery, then they receive a kit. So the incentivized baby bundle kits was started in March 2020. And we've actually done the figures and we've compared 2019 delivery rates to the 2020 delivery rates. And what we've seen is we've had over hundred percent increase in our delivery rates because of this incentivized kits that we're giving to the women who are coming in to deliver. And we're hoping to branch out and have this program in our other health centers in more remote areas.
3: That's great to hear. And, um, how much does PNG's high uh, mortality rate around childbirth have to do with availability of resources and funding?
0: In Combium itself, we've had probably a 95% cut in our operational budget or operational grants for this year. 2019, 2018, we were probably receiving $190,000, 180000 per month just to run the hospital. And this year we've received maybe 6000 for the months of January, February, and uh, March. So that's, you know, running the hospital costs money. You have to buy food for the patients who are bringing in, for the women who are coming into the waiting house to deliver, and all the other patients as well. If a woman comes in and we're not able to do a cesarean or have her, looked after at our facility, then we have to have fuel in our car so that we can bring her to the provincial hospital. We need gas, we need reagents in the lab, you need to be able to have the capacity to do a cross-match or provide, you know, investigations. So that's been a big disadvantage for us this year, but we've um, you know, tried our best to keep our services open and keep looking after not only the pregnant women, but all the other patients who are coming in um, to our facility as well.
3: Mm. Dr. Williams, I spoke to two mothers, and one big issue about giving birth and having babies and rural birthing is that they don't have family planning and one actually... One midwife told me about how a mother had nine children and died after, while giving birth to twins. What role does family planning and contraception play in all this?
0: It's very important. We always try to provide education on all of the family planning methods available, and we tell them to talk with their partners and discuss what methods are appropriate for them. And also, we want to tell them that the economic situation of PNG isn't great. You know, you have to plan. How many kids you want, and how if you're wanting them to have an education or not, and all those things we try to, I, I suppose, push or encourage them. You know, like you have to space your kids or after your fourth child, it's probably a good idea to think about family completion. Uh, it's not only, you know, for the safety of the women who are having five, six, seven kids, but also it's a pretty wise, economical decision to make as a family. We find that when we talk in this, way and we try to encourage the women who are coming in, um, they tend to be more receptive.
3: I'm, I'm from Western Islands myself and to do with pregnant women and even giving birth, I think men do not are not involved in this whole process. Do you think it's important that men are also aware of the impact of you know, having too many children and also talk about contraception and family planning as well? Do they have to be involved in this conversation?
0: Yeah, um, it's, you know, it's a uh, very important, like I said, um, thing for not only the women, but the whole family to make that decision. Together. And particularly uh, in the Highlands where it's probably more male dominated and the men are perhaps more in charge of things like reproductive health and all that. It's For us, it's very important to have the husbands or the partners come in as well. During antenatal stage or during delivery, or even after delivery, so we can talk to both the husband and the wife about um, these things. And what we're seeing in Pompeo is that, especially the younger men, uh, they're starting to come in. Not a lot, but a few of them will come in, especially after their wives have delivered and are waiting in the hospital. And then that gives us an opportunity to talk with all of them about, you know, the idea of uh, family spacing and handing out how many kids they want and all that. And they tend to be more receptive, I'd say.
3: I'm shocked by the funding cuts and low number of supervised births in PNG, but awed by the inspiring work Dr. Rebecca Williams is doing in rural PNG, Incentivizing women to give birth in the safety of a hospital. You're listening to Sisters Let's Talk on ABC Radio Australia. In the western province of PNG, the Mogulu Health Centre has five staff looking after a population of 10,000 people. In addition to dealing with emergencies, the centre delivers a minimum of five babies a month. Some mothers will walk up to six hours while in labour to give birth at the hospital. Some will not make it in time and deliver their baby on the way. Mary Nema is a nurse and midwife at the health center and has seen her share of tragedy.
1: During my antenatal clinic there was one last mother who came into I mean clinic and then that was her first clinic and she was thirty-eight weeks. I asked her question. Why didn't you come for clinic all this time? And she said um, I meant to do this. That's what she said and I asked her, why did you say you meant to do it? And She said, I've got plenty of children, and I'm not happy with my husband. That's why I have decided to do this, and I'm planning to deliver in the booth. I said, no, my sister, my friend, uh, you can't do this. As I am here, I I want you to come to the center for safe delivery. And you are at a high risk, see, nine children alive, and then that was the 10th pregnancy. Wow. When I checked, hey, I found out that it was like twins. So we advised her weekly antenatal clinic and even asked her to come to the antenatal ward and uh, wait for delivery. She said, yeah, I will do that. But uh, I have decided to deliver in the booth. But uh, because of your advice, I will come to the center and I will come for weekly check. That's what she said. And she thanked me. And she went. And then um, five days after, that was on Wednesday. And then uh, Friday was market day. And then following week, I waited for her to come to the center the next clinic. Waited, 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 but she didn't come. That when we stayed the uh, week Friday, we had that uh, there was knock at my door early hours of the morning. And I caught up, but that fellow was not there. I was waiting, wondering who came and knocked on the door. Wondering, and someone ran down and said, oh, there's someone laboring on the way. And we came to tell you that she's late stage and she's bleeding a lot. And then one of our missionary's daughter was at a station store. She asked me if we could go and see her. So we got everything ready, IV fluids, all those necessary equipment to help her ready. And then we got on the track and we, we went. We drove down and then uh, where she was in the laboring, we arrived there and found out that she was already dead and the two babies were alive. And nobody, no no other lady were there to breastfeed the baby. So I had to breastfeed the two babies, brought them to the center Gave some injections like vitamin K, heavy, BCG, cold warm water. I washed them, and then I breastfed them. And then later, I looked for other ladies to see those new babies. So that's, a, that's the story.
3: That is so sad.
1: She had the b- pains at night, but she reported to her husband at a late stage when she was about to push. Not, I mean, meters away from the house. Uh, she gave birth. While she was pushing, the first baby came down with a force and then broke the cord. And then she was bleeding from there. Nobody to help to clamp the cord. The husband was just watching and, you know, letting her to push by herself. While the other side cord was ble- bleeding badly. Because he had no idea to clamp or tie the other cord. So she bled from there and then she died. Most mothers, they even the husbands find out that they've got problems, they ask their our parents, or community to carry to the centre. But for this lady, it was only her husband who escorted her. He was thinking that she's going to deliver well and just standing and watching her until she bled to death.
3: That is so devastating. Mary Nema and her colleagues at Mogulu Health Centre encourage women to give birth under supervision in Western province because this lowers the risk dramatically of either the baby or the mother dying. This is Sisters Let's Talk with Hilda Wayne. In the Western Islands, the situation is much the same for pregnant women. The Baptist Union of PNG is part of a capacity-building program to train village birth attendants who assist midwives and provide continued care to mothers. This essential service bridges the gap between government health and village communities. Ruth Injo is a nursing officer who also trains the volunteer birth attendants.
2: We have one hospital which is referral hospital, Mount Haken General Hospital. In one shift, we had average of six deliveries, but up to nine and ten deliveries in a shift. most of them they come to the hospital for deliveries, but one When they feel that they can't come to the hospital, they go to the nearby uh, facilities, which are rural district hospitals. The average deliveries per day is three. In a month, when we have the reports, uh, we see that there is more than 10 deliveries. We have this community health post. uh, They call it CHP. And that's where the village health volunteers work along with uh, trained community health workers. In a month, you're looking at half to seven deliveries. So that's quite a lot. Yet we have deliveries in the villages where mothers are not being attended to. And that's where we have increased rate on uh, maternal mortality. That's why uh, village health volunteer program was introduced to assist the midwives and the community health workers to have the mothers uh, supervise when they have labor. And also, it's the continuum of care that VHB provides. Does that, so,
3: uh, that is, the, is that the volunteer program with the Baptist Church?
2: It is a volunteer program with the Baptist Church. But we have, uh, with the National Department of Health, under primary health care, this is L.C. Highland concept in that this is one of the strategies that everyone across the country should be implementing. That's why we, Baptist Union, helps to implement and promote this VHP program in the communities where there is no doctor. Ruth, what sort of constraints do pregnant women face in Western Islands,
3: from what your, your observations are and maybe generally PNG as well?
2: Financial constraint is one that we have faced every now and then. And then on top of that, we have the technical uh, constraints like uh, getting mother from one end to the other, where we have communication problems, and also to get the mothers to, because of the uh, geographical location, the terrains that mothers are uh, situated in the remote communities, the transportation is one. Where there is no road network, and also the constraints the mothers face is the skills they need that to have those mothers um, have the safe deliveries. So that's why we train the village really better attendants to assist these labouring mothers. However. If we equip them with resources uh, like cholla or bathing kits and gloves and buckets and stuff like that, that goes along with BHP tools. And also, especially in the highlands, we have these ethnic uh, classes fighting between several classmen that prevents them from accessing the healthcare services. So the mothers fear for their lives that they have their own. Um, Deliveries in the villages where they are in their respective homes. And most of the time, that's where mothers deliver unattended by um, trained uh, nurses. So they end up with complications. And, you know, we have this rise in maternal mortality rate.
3: That so, is that is really, really sad. Mm.
2: Mm. And Ruth,
3: is it a fact that a lot of mothers and babies have died in in remote Western islands that uh, the system doesn't account for?
2: Is that that the first statement to make? That was uh, well before 1996. So when we had this introduction of the VHB and VVAE program into the region, the deliveries in the facility or supervised deliveries had increased. So it is slowly that death, maternal mortality rate is decreasing. But we still need a lot of awareness and training for mothers. Uh, what I see is the mothers need to be educated. The young girls need to be educated about childbirth and a continuum of care. If and when they receive this awareness on their safe deliveries, they will never come to facility deliveries. Because in our cluster, women have live like that so they did deliver in the bush and they said and you know like for example i was born in a village and i was never vaccinated because i come from a remote location so the women think that this is a normal life but they are forgetting that because of the changes in diet and the things we do today most of it is been acquired from modern era um, that they think they can do it but they can't. So most of it, we need to do a lot of awareness, awareness on safe delivery, safe <laughs> delivery as well as continuum of care. From the time when the women conceive, uh, that's the time the mother needs our attention when I say how it's the family as well as the nest and the VHVs, we work together to uh, be close to the mother, until the ma- mother delivers baby and up to eight to ten weeks of delivery. Those are vulnerable times. Anything could happen.
3: How does culture and religion impact on earth services in remote areas in PNG?
2: What I've seen, culture is, it's not all bad. There are things in our culture that we need to maintain which protects safety of the family as well as the tribe and the community. People are starting to educate and advocate for um, marginalized communities, especially with mother and child or delivering or antenatal uh, mother that needs to be attended to. But with the village, they think that mothers can do deliveries on their own in the village. Most of the fundings, especially with OSHAID and several organizations like Care International and Red Cross and Susumamas, along with the churches where they advocate for safe delivery. So people start to realize that the safety of the unborn child and the mother is important. That's Ruth Injo, nursing officer who also
3: trains the volunteer birth attendants. Ruth says there is no official link between the healthcare system and the community, and she's currently working on a proposal to bridge that gap. Mm -hmm. Listening to all these women today, I'm feeling a mixture of emotions. I'm so grateful that my three babies came into the world safely. I gave birth in PNG, so this was not a guarantee. And I'm angry at the male politicians in PNG who refuse to prioritize women and children. It's a tragic and sad case of failures by successive governments. That after 46 years of independence, women and children still don't have access to the most basic health care services. And many die due to this negligence. I'm angry that mothers like myself who have to work for hours to get to the nearest clinic cannot deliver their baby safely because there are no proper facilities of specialists to ever save cesarean birth. It's the country's shame that our most vulnerable people have to live through these experiences. And while some live to tell their stories, many are not so lucky. They become a statistic of a government's failure to deliver basic services. Every mother out there deserves the same care and help that a mother in our major towns and cities receive. It's a basic right that must be given to them as Papua Guineans. So many things need to change before it's safe to become a mother in the remote parts of PNG. It's tough to know where to start. I'm overwhelmed by the bravery and dedication of PNG's women healthcare workers. They have seen more tragedies than most people see in a lifetime but they get up every day and work hard to make childbirth safer for women and babies. One thing I'm going to do is support the work of Send Hope, Not Flowers, the organization you heard about today. They provide training to health workers and baby bundles of essential care items for new mothers. They've already made a big difference, a drop of 78% in the death rate since the intervention began. You can check them out at sendhope.org. I'm also going to keep on telling the stories of Pacific women whose voices are not heard. Maybe if enough of us tell our stories, people who have the power to make a difference will start to listen. Thank you so much for joining me, Hilda Wayne, for Sisters Let's Talk on ABC Radio Australia, a weekly show by Pacific Islands Women for Pacific Islands Women, where we get together to talk about the issues that are important to us. If you've missed an episode of the show, we're also a podcast. In the Pacific, just search for Sisters Let's Talk wherever you get your podcasts. If you're in Australia, you can listen to Sisters Let's Talk on the ABC Listen app. If you've got a topic you'd like me to cover on the show or any feedback, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a message anytime at the ABC Radio Australia Facebook page or email sisters.com. At abc.net.au That is S-I-S-T-A-S At abc.net.au Next time on Sisters Let's Talk Women throughout the Pacific Have a very special relationship With the spirit world Has Christianity changed this? Should I choose the old gods
0: or should I choose Christianity? I became rather conflicted. It took a lot of thought to come to the understanding that contemporary
3: Samoa is very religious in the same way that
1: the old Samoans were very religious.
3: That's next time on Sisters Let's Talk. Sisters Let's Talk is presented by me, Hilda Wayne. It's produced by Amanda Donaghy. Our supervising producer is Inger Stunzner. Executive producer is Justine Kelly. And our commissioning editor is Ilaria Walker. Sisters Let's Talk is an ABC Radio Australia production. I'll see you next time.